again. This is Dean Hess, editor of Respiratory Care. Cystic fibrosis, an autosomal recessive genetic disorder, is a multi-system disease with pulmonary infection and inflammation causing the greatest morbidity and mortality. Respiratory therapists and others caring for patients with respiratory disease are intimately involved in the care of patients with cystic fibrosis. In the May and June 2009 issues of Respiratory Care, we are pleased to present the papers from the 43rd Respiratory Care Journal Conference, which provides a state-of-the-art review of current knowledge of cystic fibrosis pulmonary disease and respiratory care. Internationally recognized experts in the science of cystic fibrosis and the care of patients with this disease gathered to review the pulmonary pathophysiology of cystic fibrosis. The resulting papers, which we are very pleased to publish this month and next, are a must-read for any respiratory therapist and others involved in the care of patients with cystic fibrosis. A special debt of gratitude is owed to Drs. Bruce Rubin and David Geller for all of their hard work in organizing this conference. Sarah Forge will now read the abstracts from these papers, after which I will return with some thoughts on this issue. The first paper this month is Cystic Fibrosis and the Respiratory Therapist, a 50-year perspective by Volsko from Youngstown State University in Youngstown, Ohio. The role of the respiratory therapist in the care of patients with cystic fibrosis has expanded throughout the years. As key members of the multidisciplinary team, respiratory therapists actively participate in the medical management of patients with cystic fibrosis along the continuum of care, from acute inpatient stays to the outpatient clinic and or home setting. Through their involvement in diagnostic testing, administering therapy, or direct bedside care, patient and caregiver education, and disease management, respiratory therapists strive to preserve lung function, maintain overall health, and improve the patient's quality of life. Next, we have the paper, Cystic Fibrosis, Pathogenesis and Future Treatment Strategies by Ratchin from the Hospital for Sick Children and the University of Toronto in Ontario, Canada. Since the detection of the underlying gene defect, our knowledge of how the genetic mutations in cystic fibrosis cause lung disease has increased substantially, but we still lack a complete understanding of some of the pieces of the puzzle. Nevertheless, the information gained has led to new therapeutic approaches that address key factors in cystic fibrosis pathophysiology. Past therapeutic successes were largely based on targeting the consequences of cystic fibrosis transmembrane regulator dysfunction, such as phlegm retention, infection, and inflammation, but new therapies may be able to address the underlying abnormality rather than its downstream effects. The efficacy of these treatments still needs to be established, but early studies look promising for several compounds. This review summarizes our current understanding of the pathophysiology and treatment of cystic fibrosis lung disease. Next, we have the paper, Monitoring Respiratory Disease Severity in Cystic Fibrosis, by Davies and Alton from the Royal Brompton Hospital in London. 
Measurements of disease severity provide a guide for the physician to tailor therapies, for the patient and family to gauge progress, and are required for clinical trials. For many respiratory diseases, including cystic fibrosis, sensitive non-invasive measurements are few, and some of those that are available are applicable only to certain subgroups of patients or lack sufficient sensitivity. In this paper, the authors discuss currently available measurements in four groups, physiology, infection, inflammation, and radiology. For each group, they highlight strengths and weaknesses, ask how we could improve upon these, and provide details of alternative methods. Pulmonary Complications of Cystic Fibrosis is by Flume from the Medical University of South Carolina in Charleston. Earlier diagnosis, treatment of exacerbations, and the use of long-term therapies have all improved the lifespan of patients with cystic fibrosis. However, the natural history of cystic fibrosis airways disease remains one of worsening bronchiectasis and obstructive airways impairment. The progression of airways disease leads to eventual respiratory failure, but some will suffer other acute respiratory complications that require intervention, including pneumothorax, massive hemoptysis, and respiratory failure. Flume discusses the pathophysiology of these complications and the patient-related and treatment-related factors associated with their occurrence. Knowledge of these associations may play great importance in treatment decisions regarding the care of the patient, and the respiratory therapist should be aware of the implications. Since disease severity is associated with all three conditions, aggressive treatment of the underlying condition is imperative, which includes the performance of airway clearance therapies. Though some might argue that airway clearance therapies might aggravate or even precipitate complications such as hemoptysis and pneumothorax, others will defend that there are airway clearance therapies that might be safely performed. Aerosolized medications such as Dornase-alpha and Tobramycin have been associated with lower incidence of massive hemoptysis and are recommended therapies for patients with advanced airways disease, yet they are also associated with a higher incidence of pneumothorax, which suggests careful assessment of their potential bronchospastic effect in patients with advanced airways disease. The respiratory therapist also plays a key role in the care of the patient with respiratory failure. Here is also discussed the role of ventilatory support and airway clearance therapies in the patient with advanced stage disease. Now, more than ever, the patient needs caregivers with the knowledge and sensitivity to provide appropriate palliative care. Bugs, Biofilms, and Resistance in Cystic Fibrosis is by Davies and Bilton from the Royal Brompton Hospital in London. Bacteria infect the respiratory tract early in the course of cystic fibrosis disease, often fail to be eradicated, and, 
together with an aggressive host inflammatory response, are thought to be key players in the irreversible airway damage from which most patients ultimately die. Although incompletely understood, certain aspects of the cystic fibrosis airway itself appear to favor the development of chronic modes of survival, in particular biofilm formation. This and the development of antibiotic resistance following exposure to multiple antibiotic courses lead to chronic, persistent infection. In addition to the common cystic fibrosis pathogens such as Staphylococcus aureus, Haemophilus influenzae, and Pseudomonas aeruginosa, several newer species are becoming more common. Furthermore, new molecular techniques have led to the identification of multiple different organisms within respiratory secretions, many of which are not cultured with conventional tools. Further work should aim to develop clinically applicable methods to identify these and to determine which have the potential to impact pulmonary health. The authors outline the basic tenets of infection control and treatment. O'Malley from the Children's Memorial Hospital in Chicago, Illinois presents the paper Infection Control in Cystic Fibrosis, Cohorting, Cross-Contamination, and the Respiratory Therapist. Cystic fibrosis is a complex genetic disease characterized by lung infections that lead to early morbidity and death. Pathogens that commonly infect the lungs of patients with cystic fibrosis include Staphylococcus aureus, Haemophilus influenzae, Pseudomonas aeruginosa, and Burkholderia cepatia. Aggressively treating pulmonary infection with antibiotics has contributed to improved survival in patients with cystic fibrosis, but has also promoted multiple drug-resistant bacteria. Other complexities include the ability of bacteria to form biofilms, which makes them more resistant to antibiotics, and emerging pathogens in cystic fibrosis, of which the clinical importance is not yet clear. Increasing evidence of patient-to-patient -patient transmission of cystic fibrosis pathogens led the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation to produce evidence-based infection control recommendations, which stress four principles, standard precautions, transmission-based precautions, hand hygiene, and care of respiratory equipment. Respiratory therapists need to know and follow these infection control recommendations. Cohorting patients infected with Burkholderia cepatia complex is one of the several interventions successful at keeping the spread of this pathogen low. But cohorting patients who are infected, colonized with other microbes is controversial, the main argument of which is not being certain of a patient's present respiratory culture status at any given patient visit. The final conference paper this month is Aerosol Antibiotics in Cystic Fibrosis by Geller from the Nemours Children's Clinic in Orlando, Florida. 
Chronic airways infection and inflammation is the greatest source of morbidity and mortality in patients with cystic fibrosis. Many organisms can be found in the lower respiratory tract of patients with cystic fibrosis, but infection with mucoid Pseudomonas aeruginosa is common, is associated with poorer outcomes, and is the main target for antimicrobial strategies in cystic fibrosis. Aerosol antibiotics achieve high local concentrations in the airways, reduce systemic toxicity, and have been used successfully for long-term suppressive treatment for established Pseudomonas aeruginosa infections. Eradication of early Pseudomonas aeruginosa airway infection has also been tried with aerosol antibiotics, though the ideal treatment strategy is still being investigated. There are several variables to consider when choosing an antibiotic formulation to develop for topical inhalation. Tobramycin solution for inhalation is currently the only approved inhaled antibiotic in the United States. The time burden for patients to administer inhaled tobramycin via jet nebulizer is substantial, so efforts have focused on more efficient, faster delivery methods. Novel formulations of aerosol antibiotics are being studied for cystic fibrosis, including beta-lactams, fluoroquinolones, and aminoglycosides. Phase 3 studies of Aztrianum for inhalation delivered via a proprietary nebulizer, the E-Flow, showed improved outcomes and a short, less than 3-minute delivery time. Liposome formulations are being studied as a way to penetrate mucoid biofilms and prolong the residence time of the antibiotic in the lungs. Light, porous, dry powder formulations are also in clinical trials to reduce delivery time. These new formulations and delivery systems promise to expand our armamentarium against microbes while reducing the time burden for patients. I'm back with some comments on these papers. Although much of the care of patients with cystic fibrosis occurs in specialized referral centers, most respiratory therapists and other respiratory clinicians will care for patients with cystic fibrosis at one time or another in their careers. Once considered a disease of children, patients with cystic fibrosis are increasingly living to adulthood. Respiratory therapists are involved in the care of these patients through teaching and applying airway clearance techniques, administering therapeutic aerosols, performing pulmonary function testing, and caring for patients requiring invasive and non-invasive ventilation. Research respiratory therapists are at the forefront of new discoveries and the application of new therapies for the treatment of cystic fibrosis. As Volsko states, the role of the respiratory therapist in the care of patients with cystic fibrosis has expanded throughout the years. Respiratory therapists are key members of the multidisciplinary team caring for these patients in both the acute inpatient and chronic outpatient settings. As stated by Ratchkin, cystic fibrosis can serve as a paradigm of how a better understanding of the underlying disease process can translate into new and better treatment approaches. The gene responsible for cystic fibrosis was detected in 1989. 
Since the detection of the underlying gene defect, our knowledge of how the genetic mutations of cystic fibrosis cause lung disease has increased substantially. The information gained has led to new therapeutic approaches that address key factors of cystic fibrosis pathophysiology. Past therapeutic successes were largely based on targeting the consequences of the cystic fibrosis transmembrane regulator dysfunction, such as phlegm retention, infection, and inflammation. These are important, but as Rachkin points out, new therapies may be able to address the underlying abnormality rather than the downstream effects. The future prospects of these therapies are exciting and may profoundly affect the treatment of patients with cystic fibrosis. One of the most exciting of these therapies is the potential for gene replacement therapy. Treating the early and root causes of cystic fibrosis will improve not only patient outcomes, but will hopefully also reduce the substantial burdens of treatment for the patient and the patient's family. As is the case with any chronic disease, it is important to monitor respiratory disease severity in cystic fibrosis. As Davies and Alton indicate, measurements of disease severity provide a guide for the clinician to tailor therapies and for the patient and family to gauge success. Monitoring disease severity is particularly important in clinical trials. For many respiratory diseases, including cystic fibrosis, there are very few sensitive, non-invasive measurements. Unfortunately, those that are available are applicable only to certain subgroups of patients or lack sufficient sensitivity. The authors discuss the strengths and weaknesses of a number of measurements, including spirometry, plethysmography, lung clearance index, evaluation of sputum and bronchoalveolar lavage, exhaled nitric oxide, exhaled breath condensate, radiology, and others. There is no debate that earlier diagnosis and treatment of exacerbations and the use of long-term therapies have improved the lifespan of patients with cystic fibrosis. However, as discussed by Flume, the progression of airways disease leads to respiratory failure. Moreover, some patients will experience other acute respiratory complications such as pneumothorax or massive hemoptysis. Without question, respiratory therapists and others caring for these patients should be aware of the implications of these complications. Aggressive treatment of the underlying condition is imperative, which includes airway clearance therapies. Some clinicians have argued that airway clearance therapies might aggravate or precipitate complications such as hemoptysis and pneumothorax. However, airway clearance therapies can probably be safely performed. Knowledge of alternative therapies that are effective but may place the patient at less risk is important. Inhaled Dornase Alpha and Tobramycin have been associated with a lower incidence of massive hemoptysis and are recommended therapies for patients with advanced airways disease, but they are associated with a higher incidence of pneumothorax. This suggests careful assessment of the potential for these drugs to induce bronchospasm in patients with advanced airways disease. It is prudent to use spirometry to evaluate the acute effects of inhaled medications on airway reactivity. As Flume points out, clinicians should be cognizant of the potential pulmonary complications that result from the chronic infection and inflammation of cystic fibrosis, most notably pneumothorax, hemoptysis, and eventual respiratory failure. As stated by Davies and Bilton, 
Bacteria infect the respiratory tract early in the course of cystifibrosis, often fail to be eradicated, and together with an aggressive host inflammatory response, are thought to be key players in the irreversible airway damage from which patients ultimately die. Staphylococcus aureus, Haemophilus influenzae, and Pseudomonas aeruginosa are common cystic fibrosis pathogens, but several newer species are becoming more common. Aspects of airways in patients with cystic fibrosis appear to favor the development of chronic modes of survival of bacteria. Formation of biofilm is particularly important, which makes bacteria more resistant to antibiotics. The development of antibiotic resistance is also of concern. Of course, the best therapy is prevention, which can be aided by infection control measures. A particular interest in this paper is the discussion of the eight basic tenets of antibiotic treatment for patients with cystic fibrosis. O'Malley addresses issues of infection control in cystic fibrosis, particularly the important issues of cohorting and cross-contamination. Increasing evidence of patient-to-patient -patient transmission of cystic fibrosis pathogens led the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation to produce evidence-based infection control recommendations. In her paper, O'Malley not only discusses these in detail, but provides an appendix for the levels of evidence for the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation recommendations. Four principles are stressed. These are standard precautions, transmission-based precautions, hand hygiene, and care of respiratory equipment. Respiratory therapists caring for patients with cystic fibrosis need to follow these infection control recommendations. Cohorting patients infected with Burkholderia cepatia complex is an intervention that is successful at keeping the spread of this pathogen low. However, cohorting patients who are infected and or colonized with other microbes is controversial. As pointed out in this paper, the main argument against cohorting is not being certain of a patient's present respiratory culture status at any given visit. Inhaled antibiotics are commonly administered as part of the care of patients with cystic fibrosis. Aerosol antibiotics achieve high local concentrations in the airways and reduce systemic toxicity. They have also been used successfully for long-term suppressive treatment for established Pseudomonas aeruginosa infections. Further, eradication of early Pseudomonas aeruginosa airway infection has also been tried with aerosol antibiotics. However, as pointed out by Geller, the ideal treatment strategy is still being investigated. This is likely an area that will change a lot in years to come. Tobramycin solution for inhalation is currently the only approved inhaled antibiotic in the United States. Because the time burden for patients to receive inhaled tobramycin by jet nebulizer is substantial, efforts have focused on more efficient, faster delivery methods. In addition, novel formulations of aerosol antibiotics are being studied, including beta-lactams, fluoroquinolones, and aminoglycosides. Phase 3 studies of estreonam for inhalation have shown improved outcomes and a short delivery time. Liposome formulations are being studied as a way to penetrate mucoid biofilms and prolong the residence time of antibiotics in the lungs. Light, porous, dry powder formulations are in clinical trials to reduce delivery time. 
Given the number of formulations and delivery systems currently under investigation, we are likely to see the introduction of several of these in the near future. This is sure to impact the care provided by respiratory therapists for patients with cystic fibrosis. To receive the contents of this and past issues of the journal, visit our website at www.rcjournal.com. There you can also subscribe to receive podcasts of future issues.